0: Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. My name is Vivian Aqua, the inclusive workplace wellness advocate, and I'm streaming from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Today, we are going to talk about let's humanize the workplace. And one of the main topic that I want to address is change management, especially now with this working from home. It can be challenging, but luckily I have two guest speakers who are going to share all their wisdom regarding this. But I also need to share my screen because I wanted to highlight something that Coca-Cola did. And I think that is an amazing effort that they are doing. So um, if you Google Coca-Cola lawyers, uh, you will find out that Coca-Cola abroad, or I I guess I assume international Coca-Cola is demanding diversity from their lawyers so this is a a good trend i can see it as supplier diversity and um i also for i i am assuming that more companies will follow right more companies will take over the lead to um to demand from their clients, from the partners or their suppliers that they're working to be more diverse and showcase more diversity. So definitely Google Coca-Cola diversity and lawyers and you'll find more information about what they are asking. They're putting a percentage of the companies. I think it was they're assuming 30% of the company needs to be diverse and otherwise, or more percentage needs to be diverse or otherwise you have to give them a discount of 30%. So that is a an enticing way to challenge companies to think about, not think, acts upon diversity. For tonight, like I shared, we are embracing change in the workplace because I know that we are all going through a challenging time with this lockdown, working from home, uh, homeschooling, and so many other challenges, but I'm bringing on Neil Usher and I'm bringing on Gulshir Oganar to have this conversation about the workplace and how we can embrace change. So if you bear with me, I'm gonna bring them up. Let me see, I hope Goldshire is coming. So first of all, Neil, I have to introduce Neil first. Um, Neil Usher is a corporate real estate and a change practitioner for 30 years and experience all over the world and he has in a book, it's called The Elemental Change. And that is also the reason why I'm bringing it up. And Golce, is an, Golce Oguner is an architect a social entrepreneur devoted to creating positive change inside the profession of the architecture. So welcome, welcome to uh, Let's Humanize the Workplace. And I'm going to ask you the first question because we need to humanize our virtual workplaces. What will be your answer, Neil?
1: Hi, Ed. it's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting You're me. You're welcome. Um, del- delighted to be talking to you both. Um, it's interesting. I, I, you know, at the end of the day, the the workplace is created for human beings. So it's it's its fundamental purpose. It it has to be uh, sort of placing human beings at the heart of it. But i've always believed that the more human we make the more the workplace the more that organizations and we get out of it there is a to offer you an idea for this we could probably even sort of call it the return on humanity really there is a there's a, there's a payback there's a there's a direct payback for investing thought time energy money in in humanizing the workplace but i should say i think it does have to serve the needs of organization and the planet as well and we we mustn't forget in in all of this that there is a reality that we have to work to and there are some choices that need to be made and balancing those three is 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 where the sort of the the formula for success lies um but at the end of the day we would always put people first
0: yeah you mentioned planet that's the first time well no this is the second time that somebody a guest speaker is mentioning that can you maybe put some emphasis on why you're adding the planet apart
1: Um, In relation to the workplace and a lot of the work I do, um, we often measure uh, the sort of the, the degree to which a workplace is utilised. We we look at sort of you know how many people are in that space, what they're doing in that space, uh, and what we've noticed is over the last few decades is a significant amount of waste um, that's costing mm. the organisation a lot of money. But also, if we're occupying too much space, if the workplace is too large for the organisation and we're not getting that uh, the performance from it that we could we could work with a smaller space, then effectively we're we're, we're creating an environmental problem as well, and the the cumulative effect of all of that is a is a is a huge amount of commercial real estate on this planet which is which which could be working a lot harder for people a lot harder for the organization and just being a lot more environmentally responsible as well
0: would you foresee then after this that the workplaces the physical workplaces will be smaller
1: i think they will be smaller i think at least for a time i think they will be more focused there'll be more uh, purpose understood from those workplaces, and they'll have to start justifying themselves. The workplace really is one of those few assets in an organization that never really has to has to justify itself like people do on a, mm-hmm. on a regular basis, um, and all of the other assets an organization acquires. The workplace is just been sort of provided as a given really. Oh, you know, we have a business, we have an organization, we need an office, we need a workplace, this many people multiplied by this many square meters and lo and behold, we create something for everyone to show up in, which of course, there isn't a day where everyone does show up. Um, so there is always this sort of spare capacity rattling around in inside a workplace. So I think that's really what's what's been going on for the last few decades, is that we, we've been sort of tolerating this situation Um, but I think that these sort of smaller more purposeful more focused workplaces will start to to justify themselves to the organization and and to
0: the occupants yeah thank you and Goldchain yeah I
2: definitely can agree with some of the points Neil has mentioned and coming from the profession of architecture I can definitely tell from my own personal experiences of actually designing offices and spaces where people gather and work, it has been previously a lot more about best way of utilizing spaces that were too large to begin with. And as an architect, you have this challenge of taking a large space and how do you make it friendly in terms of the scale and how do you actually integrate places where colleagues come together and there is this interaction that takes place creating in a positive environment not just for your career but also for this human interaction that is so Mm -hmm. so important and now that we're in this virtual realm I feel like we're still learning we're still learning how how it's like to work together virtually and what are some things that contribute to that in terms of our communication. Uh, So I think this is one of the main things that I see in terms of humanizing the virtual workplace being a key element that really needs to be addressed. Because in the physical space, it was easy to configure the space, it was easier to set up meetings and sort of bring everybody together in a setting but how do you do that in a virtual setting and how do you actually communicate understanding people's emotions their feelings and sort of the direction from which they're coming from when they're expressing themselves so I think this is one of the big challenging uh, situations that we have to deal with.
0: Yeah I'm also curious about the hybrids because I, I do feel that After, you know, after this lockdown eventually is done or after there there will be a moment that we are going back to the office, maybe not full time, but part time. And some of the teachers, at least my uh, son's teacher, they were working hybrid. So there were some kids going to school and the majority was uh, was uh, following the classes and they had like struggles with dividing their attention. So Um, Do you see that also in the workplace culture?
2: I feel like the hybrid model actually has some, of course, it has its pros and cons, but Mm -hmm. in a way, maybe it has a little bit more pros because perhaps it's actually catering to different types of learning. Uh, Some people are actually better at virtual learning and following online courses, sort of going at things at their own pace. And some people really do prefer having that, uh, you know, more one on one interaction and real time feedback. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in that in that sense, I feel like there are pros to it. But then a big con is, of course, how do you divide the group And determine which group is there in the physical space and which people are tuning in online. And how do you keep that as a nice balance and still have that overall sense of like being one entity, for example, in the case of the classroom or in the case of the office that people are not divided, but they're still working under one collective, so to say.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. And Neil, how do you see the future? So post-COVID, how do you see the future of workplaces? And the challenge is is that um, there are so many challenges regarding the vaccine. Are people going to be vaccinated? How will the hygiene be? How will everything be post-COVID?
1: Um, I think this sort of idea of hybrid has been very interesting in terms of the the discussions um, that a lot of people have been having. It's been the, the the expression that everybody's really talking about. We're going to go back to a hybrid workplace. Nobody wants to commute five days a week. We don't want to exactly. attend an office out of habit. You know, it's we've done this routine for years and finally we've sort of managed to break this. Mm-hmm. Um so we choose when we go to the office and, you know, when we go there, everything is provided and it's fantastic and it's all sort of set up well-being oriented workspace and then we can work at home when we like and we can, you know, our learning styles and our work styles can be met. But I think what we're creating is a lovely idea, is a lovely vision um, to a degree. I think we've been doing a lot of this sort of thing informally for many years i think in a lot of organizations it's been sort of you know bubbling along under the surface really these sorts of choices we make have been there or thereabouts um making it something that's sort of formalized making hybrid by design rather than making hybrid just sort of just a solidification of that informality is going to be incredibly difficult And you identified a few of the challenges there and I think one of the biggest challenges in this sort of hybrid workplace is what's called mixed mode where some people are in the workspace and some people are working remotely Mm -hmm. and how do you somehow equate that experience ensure that in particular those people who are working remotely can enjoy the same the same experience as those people who are actually operating face-to-face in the office Um, and I think you know that that is going to be sort of really tricky Um, I think also the fact that um, we're, we've sort of been very attuned over many decades to what presence means, um, yeah. being yeah. physically present. Um, there's a real concern being voiced in a number of quarters, and I've something I've been saying for a while that. That uh, you know, one of the things we have to be incredibly careful of is that we don't create almost a two-tier society where where sort of those who are present, those who are visible, seen, um, they are the ones that get the recognition, the rewards, mm-hmm. the promotions, and those people who are working in a distributed fashion get almost forgotten about. So they're then tempted to come back into the workplace again to say, "I'm here," you know, you, you you know, don't forget me. I'm out there and 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 I'm still still working. So I think we have to be very careful with a lot of what we what we're sort of creating in our minds here in terms of applying that as a as a pr- practical reality. It's a lot more difficult than it sounds and and looks at the moment.
0: Yeah. I totally yeah. agree and also, you know, the challenge not only for managers but also for the the people that are maybe just onboarding finding it um finding it exciting to work for a new company while working from home and never have that connection with their new colleagues, never have that, you know, one-on-one conversation with their manager, or maybe your CEO, or maybe just have that, that connection with somebody they met, you know, just taking coffee. Those are the little things that they are missing out when you're working remote. But then again, there are other challenges that we could do to uh, create that connection. But yeah, I, I see so many challenges for the people that are joining new companies and they joined during this lockdown as well.
2: Yeah, on that note, I actually have a quick anecdote. Exactly a year ago, I did make a switch to a different office and uh, mm-hmm. the idea of the kind of job that I will be doing would be a lot more hands-on. And actually, in fact, about it was about organizing physical events. And you can imagine about a week into getting settled into this new position, there was the first cases of uh, the pandemic starting in Rotterdam, which meant from then onwards, all of our events had to go online almost immediately. So lucky enough, the organization and us as employees, we were quite resilient to be able to make that change. But to really go back to your point, that uh, this physical environment and this kind of physical setting versus things going back to online, how sustainable is that? That's basically the first question, not in a sense that is it manageable? Of course it is manageable, but it is is more in the sense that how are we dealing with that psychologically and what will the long-term implications be if this actually carries on for an extended amount of time? Mm -hmm. And then the second part of that is, those who were in the hybrid events organizing the physical gatherings versus those who were working online behind the scenes, how do you sort of uh, weigh in an equal way the f- effort being put into putting both events on stage? Which yeah. one is more valuable? Is it more valuable to contribute to setting up the physical event now? Is it more valuable to set up the online? And how do you actually go about? dealing with the nuances of that. So I think this is something interesting from my personal experience.
0: It's definitely interesting. But there is one thing that I do have to admit I miss the offline gatherings. I miss that just being at an event, talking, speaking, but also talking to other people who you who you are meeting and having a different conversation besides the conversation that I'm having with my seven-year-olds about Disney or about other things. So I already signed up like okay the moment that the doors are opening I'm just like hey I'm here book me and I am ready to talk to people that's it. (laughs) So um, how can leaders support their people especially now that people are finding that they love it they love working from home and they don't even not that they don't care, but they don't even miss being at the physical workplace and some miss being at the physical workplace. So how, what can we do, Golche, to support the leaders?
2: I sincerely believe there needs to be really deep discussions. And I think, um, it's, it's important to realize that sometimes we make certain assumptions, not only about ourselves, but also our colleagues and sometimes in the workplace you have to remain professional so you don't really open up about a lot of the personal challenges so i think one way that leaders was can
0: post pre covid
2: yeah post covid even even so i feel like people really need to have a lot more of a open discussion mm-hmm. to really talk about how are they going to collectively adjust to the work life after this situation is over, because it's almost like having a reverse culture shock, yep. right? So now we get we got so used to this current situation and going back, there are going to be unique challenges I think we have to face. And a big part of that will definitely be coming up with a lot of improvements and improve the use of the spaces and the interactions between the colleagues. So I think this is still very important having that dialogue.
0: can you have warmth in physical works places where you know the uh how do you say you have split screens you have people wearing face masks you have all these uh steps on the floor that you have to take it's it's like almost a dance lesson that you're taking because you want to enter a building yeah how to me that doesn't sound cozy that doesn't sound that doesn't give me the warmth so How are we, how can we help the people that feel a little bit anxious coming back to the workplace, especially being cooped in this lockdown and having to be amongst people again?
2: I think dealing with the measurements and sort of dealing with the hygiene situation would definitely be one of the main things that designers have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And make it not seem like those machines that are scary, you know with the boxes of hand sanitizer and tissue boxes everywhere, but sort of design it in a more human way that it becomes more part of daily life, almost like different objects that we're interacting with that can still bring us joy in our day to day lives and also regarding the office design spaces, you will probably have to include some distances but There are definitely unique ways of dealing with that using more innovative materials, using different levels of transparency so that people still have that eye-to-eye contact without feeling like their health in any shape or form is in danger. So I think these are, they seem like they're Easy to deal with, but if you really dig deep into the nuances, there's going to be unique challenges facing us. And uh I'm curious, Neil, what you think about that as well. I'm actually. also curious
0: because yeah. we have to we have to embrace change and this is a very impactful change in the workplace.
1: I, I'm I'm not a medical practitioner by any means but the but what I've read and heard suggests that there's actually been very little evidence of the 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 virus being transmitted through surface contact. Mm-hmm. Um so I think the early sort of knee jerk reaction to the pandemic and some of the the things we saw on appearing online which were quite frankly, buildings that you just didn't want to be in, you know, because there Mm -hmm. just almost was no, but you, we we would, we would take the social isolation of being at home rather than sort of make the effort to commute to those places and be in those buildings. They just weren't worth being in. Um, Can you,
0: can you maybe elaborate what those buildings, how do they look like? Are they prisons? Are they
1: yeah just the sort of the one way traffic covered in plexiglass so all all of the sort of benefits of being in a mm-hmm. building which are yeah. access to people um you know f- you know face to face interaction with people were effectively denied it was you know it it was you you could be forgiven for wondering why anybody was there at all really Is if other you know because we can actually achieve just about everything we need to achieve away from that building the
0: Mm -hmm. purpose
1: of being in the building was all of that physical face-to-face interaction and those those conversations that we have on a day-to-day basis Um, and all the sorts of things that leaders need to do in, in those spaces as well. But yeah. um, so without them, really, you know, when I saw a lot of these responses, it was a case of, look, just stop trying so hard. Just be patient and, you know, explore what the digital workplace has to offer. Um, get better at navigating your way through the digital workplace. And, and there will be a return to these spaces in time. Um, but let's not rush it and and make them thoroughly unpleasant experiences. Let's just... Bide our time, and and there will be an opportunity to return. So, mm-hmm. I, whilst I think we will be a little bit hesitant when we come back to these spaces, and you know, many of us will still be a little nervous about distance, and and probably we it's been instilled in us that the surface transmission is a is a, is a likely outcome. So we probably will still be washing our hands, sanitising our hands, and and doing all those sorts of things. But um, I think we need a proper analysis of of whether that is actually necessary and whether whether we'll you know whether we'll still do that. But I'm not imagining us returning to an office environment until vaccinations are widespread, until um, you know a lot more is known about the virus, and 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 we can return in some comfort and some level of safety to that workplace without having to sort of create. You know, plexiglass sort of partitions between every single workplace and come in one way and leave by a, uh, another exit mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm seeing the sort of post-covid workplace really being quite similar in many respects in terms of those opportunities and interactions to the pre-covid workplace but at the right time and under the right circumstances that we'll actually take that opportunity are you
0: saying this year or next year
1: and um, well, I'd like to think it will be sort of just past the middle of the year, but I, I think one of the things we have to recognize is that the, the vast majority of the working population will be those people who will be some of the last people to be vaccinated because mm-hmm. of the sort of risk groups and the, the way that most countries are going about this. So we, we do have to bear in mind that, you know, whilst we see uh, in many countries, and the UK has been pretty good with it really in terms of numbers being vaccinated, there's still a long way to go and people still have to have two two vaccinations, not just one. One One's a good start, but they still need the, the second. Um, and so um, one of the other things that we haven't really got our heads around is, is this going to be an annual thing? Or is yeah. this is how long does the vaccination last? We don't know this, but mm-hmm. let's assume that we can get the vast majority of the population in most countries vaccinated by sort of just past the middle of the year. Then I don't see any reason why a, a sort of a, a progressive return to physical workspace won't won't be possible.
0: Yeah, I yeah I totally get that. And um, there is another thing uh, that I want to address. There are. Some naysayers. There are people that, when you mention the word change, it feels like they are bringing up that Chinese wall, and they say we hate change. We hate. We we fear. Actually, they're saying they fear change, but rejecting change, rejecting diversity, rejecting equity and inclusion. So that's my you know my part. I see so many things that you shared in the elemental change be applicable for the DEI workspace. So what will be your response to this?
1: Um, I, d- I do address it in the book. And I it's it's I, d- I do actually mention that every time I hear someone saying people hate change, a little part of me dies, because I think it's a, you know, I think it's fundamentally wrong. If we, one of, one of the things I do sort of to, to, uh, am at pains to do in the book is, is make sure we understand the nature of change in relation to both our personal and our professional lives. You know, change is not different, the other side of the, the office revolving door. Uh, change, change operates across our lives in, 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 a, in a common way. Um, and so if we think about our own personal lives for a moment, we, we are constantly driving change. What's the biggest frustration for at the moment? We, we can't do all the things we'd planned to do and all the things we mm-hmm. intended to do and all the things we're yeah. used to doing on our, on, a, on our day-to-day, week-by-week basis. And, and that is all about driving change in our own personal life. So we don't suddenly get beyond the revolving door and put the brakes on and say, whoa, no, no, no change. We hate change. Actually, just about everything we were doing before we walked through that door was related to change. And so it will continue to be so inside an organization as well. So I think if we're resisting a sort of a you know an equality, diversity and inclusion agenda or or all or, or those aims within organizations, then we're doing it for other reasons, not because we hate change because um, because like um, some of the, the 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 ideas that we discussed slightly earlier, it's it, very often it's difficult. It involves making a lot of effort. It involves thinking it through. It involves being motivated enough to drive it through to make it happen. But it's quite possible if we if we have that aim that we we can do that together, and I, and I think one of the things we've really learned from this period of time is is the importance of working together. Mm. You know, it, it's, yeah. if if I think back to office surveys pre-COVID, you know, what was the biggest the biggest complaint was always noise and disturbance, mm-hmm. because what happened was people came into the office and they just wanted to get on, and they just put their headphones on and just leave me alone. I've just got my own stuff to do. Actually, one of, the, one of the real real benefits of this period of time, I think, for the future workplace is that organisations wanted their people to work together. You know, leaders always wanted their people to work together. They assembled teams. They recruited people. They brought them into that space together to work together. And yet, when we came to the office, because we were doing this out of routine and we had to come every day and that's what we were instructed to do, and that was the norm, we um, you know, we had to do all of our own work during that time as well. So, and, and that's where we needed to be left alone. Whereas actually what we're thinking about now of the workplace is this is the place where we work together. This is, where we, mm-hmm. this is where we build community. We build social capital within our organizations and we build that social cohesion. And I think when we are motivated to building communities in that way, we are motivated towards an EDI agenda at the same time. And so I think that some of the developments that have occurred in this period of time will create this momentum and will make these agendas much more easy to to deliver. And I don't think it'll be a case of resisting change in any way. I think some of the challenges we're going to find is how can we do this as quickly as possible? We're probably actually going to find that our biggest challenge is trying to do too much too soon
0: um,
1: and actually make sure we do things properly because all of this will be pent up. All of this will be waiting to, to be acted on and once we get back into that space and we're working closely with people and we're balancing our lives with some, some remote work, too. But once we're in that space where we can work in that way, I think there's so much to do. We, we, we'll just be so motivated to get on with it.
0: You mentioned something that made me laugh uh, from the inside. So uh, I've been in workplaces where the majority of the colleagues were <laughs> were wearing headphones in an open office and One of the things that I dislike from being working in an open office is you have 30, more than 30, 40 people crammed up in a small space. And one person is hijacking the open space by having a phone conversation because they feel the need to, for everybody to listen in and I was also thinking about that moment where my son was sitting next to me. Imagine, uh, while homeschooling, imagine being disturbed every 10 minutes. I felt like that moment, bringing me back towards that open office space where that colleague was hijacking my silence, my peace to work in peace, to be able to do, you know, to do cool things. Are we going to are we going to have that open office conversation again or are we going to do better this time?
1: I think um, one of the interesting shifts is going to be that um office planning, because we based office planning on everyone showing up, um mm-hmm. an office tried an office tried to do a bit of everything. So it had to cater for your whole days and your whole weeks' needs across the board, across broad spectrum of everybody um and so consequently um the way we planned an office was that the the basic unit of currency whether shared or or allocated was a desk and everybody was you know had access to desking because that was the primary space in which we spent the majority of our time in the office and then we went to the other spaces and we talked Mm -hmm. about secondary spaces like breakout spaces and all the variety of other types of space that we provide But primarily, we were expected to be working at a desk, because that was because we were in the office five days a week, and all the other spaces were arrayed around it. Whereas actually, I think what we're going to see is is a flip of that. So the primary spaces in the office will be those where we're working together. Now... That doesn't mean to say that, um, as I've seen in some quarters, that the office is all going to be about collaboration, because that's the equal and opposite hell of just spending all day with your headphones on. You know, that mm-hmm. we're not we're not just going to flip from one extreme to the other. Balance there is is making sure that um, there are spaces where we can work interactively, and also spaces then where we can work in a in a concentrated and a focused fashion. But I think what's going to happen is the primary spaces will be the interactive spaces. The secondary spaces where you need to break away, you need to break, you know, we always used to call them breakout spaces, but the breakout spaces will be the desks. That's where you'll go between your interactions on the two or three days a week that you're in the office when you need to just catch up, produce a document, work on something you were just discussing with your colleagues. And I think we'll be much more focused on making those secondary spaces, those desk spaces uh, much more focused on making them possible to work in a in a in a in a focused way. So rather than sort of you know just for tiny little desks that are all in rows, they'll be much better suited to individual work in a in a focused and concentrated way. And we can do that because we don't have to allocate one to every single person in the organization because they're actually a support space. Mm-hmm. So we turn the whole we turn the whole idea of office planning on its head. So, yes, you might occasionally see someone at one of those desks with headphones on, but they're not going to be there for long. They're only going to yeah. be there in breaks between interactive sessions or when they need to catch up on something, and then they'll be back working in a different setting with their colleagues. And then when they really need to focus, they're going to find a place locally to do that. They're either going to do that at home or do it in somewhere in the but local.
0: This, this, this makes me think that, okay, um, offices are structured in a different way. They are getting creative of using their space, but then again, work is extended from our homes. Should the company also consider our office at home? Should they think about it? Should they provide tools or maybe a budget to create better spaces for their people?
1: Gulce, would you like to take that one? I'm conscious I've been monopolizing (laughs) the answers.
2: (laughs) No, no worries at all, Neil. I think your insights are super valuable, but uh, I actually know of several offices who were running their businesses primarily online and after the giving circumstances, they actually went ahead and gave certain budgets to their remote workers to upgrade their chairs, to really focus on the ergonomic situation, how they're working day to day, because obviously with us working from home, undoubtedly most of us are spending even more time at the computer while we're working, also when we're Mm -hmm. maybe even taking time off. So in that sense, Um, I was very happy to hear such offices that are taking the initiative to do that. And I sincerely do believe instead of spending the extra budget on a very extravagant office desk space design in the traditional sense, I think part of that budget should be given to the employee to really make it a little bit more comfortable at home, provided that there will be a substantial amount of time still being spent in the setting of the home. And that way, not only are you more mindful of your resources, but you actually get to start to think a lot more creatively about what happens, like Neil said, in that collective space where people actually gather together so you don't really need the traditional desk setup anymore you don't really need this endless open plan so how do you actually divide the space in a more meaningful way that has a more approachable scale that encourages people to come together brainstorm ideas and really just you know build something meaningful together so i think this is going to be really interesting to approach
0: but and how are you as an architect because you You design for the buildings, right? You design for not for the residents. Is there a way of architects being involved, sharing tips or planning residents?
2: Yeah, I think this is a wonderful question. I think here there are so many points I can criticize about the profession. I think there's always this uh, dichotomy between the architect and what the architect sees the future of the workplace to be Mm -hmm. versus the practicality of people actually using the space. Uh, I don't know if you ever come across these memes online where you see what the architect thought of the space to be versus how it's actually being used.
0: So I think in
2: that sense, being an architect here, I have to be very critical. And if any of my colleagues are tuning into this, that we have to really listen and understand how people want to utilize the space before we actually impose a design, assuming that that's one size fits all situation is going to be the way to go and here I also really want to point out that uh, a lot of the stakeholders uh, a lot of the developers of new office spaces you know instead of utilizing and squeezing the budget per square meter I really encourage all of us to think about the more human approach instead of just the monetary approach of designing such spaces so I think this is one thing That I really want to make uh, heard here loud and clear that as designers, we have a very big responsibility now to create something that is going to work for the people who will be utilizing the space versus what we think works.
0: Yeah. So do you feel that it's needed to... Make a uh, a distinct between or make a, a difference between buildings that are well, so well certificated or buildings that aren't well.
2: I sincerely believe that uh, this has to be something developers and architecture offices want to carry out and mm. not do because it looks cool on paper. So I really think that both WELL and BRIAM certifications, they both have to be carried out to the T. And I think there is no longer any kind, in my personal opinion, there shouldn't be discussion whether that should be part of the budget or not, because we're spending so much of our time still indoors, Yes, yeah. there needs to be great ventilation. Yes, there needs to be great chairs. Yes, there needs to be uh, sustainable materials that are not harmful to our you know, well-being. So yeah. I really do think that the well criteria is something that is no longer nice to have and no longer something that you do just so that you can get your project published on Architecture Daily. But it is something <laughs> that you have to follow simply because of the fact that um, that's, that's the norm, in my personal opinion.
0: Yeah, you definitely share your personal opinion. Thank you, <laughs> Neil. Yeah,
2: my 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 pleasure. <laughs> uh,
1: I think we have to be quite careful, really, when we're when we're thinking about sort of sustainability accreditation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very important to make sure we're not just demolishing buildings for the hell of it and building yeah. new ones that that get a great certification. Um, if there's something we can do with existing stock. Um, that's got to be the first thing we look at before we decide to to take something down and, and rebuild it um, and i think that you know particularly with the ways that we've been occupying office space um, i think if we if we look at the amount of underoccupied office space then that represents now a quite a substantial percentage of the existing office stock so and it's going to be really difficult for us to say well look you know if we're if we're carrying 30 percent excess stock across a, a city Let's identify the 30% of those buildings that are the worst environmental performance and knock those ones down so we leave all the really good ones. And it just mm-hmm. doesn't work out that way, the way that people have commitments to buildings and lease commitments and, and, uh, and the way that people own buildings. So I think that it's really important to look at whole life costs in all of this um if if a new building is being constructed, then we do have to consider the environmental impact of the demolition of the building that's that was there before rather than just purely and simply looking at the new building. So I actually think we've become very fixated on certification. Um at the end of the day, certification doesn't mean much to the occupants of the building. You know, they probably walk past a a certificate in a reception that says that it's got some kind of accreditation. What does it really mean? Um, what it really means in a building is is the actual effect of that certification. What is it that that? How is it actually improving the environment for the occupants of that building? Are they getting any actual benefit from that? What sort of en- energy consumption in use is that building actually generating? Mm-hmm. So, all very well having um, sustainable construction certification, but what about its actual? Um, energy usage over its over its lifespan so taking a whole life cost looking at looking at every decision we take in relation to a new building uh, in terms of its environmental impacts, not just purely and simply the design or the construction of that space itself.
0: Thank you if there was one thing that you could share that is challenging for people to embrace change into infinity and beyond what what would you say? <laughs>
1: um i think one, the,
0: thing. one thing um
1: <laughs> i think the one thing is this is the most amazing opportunity we've ever had to reshape the workplace and to rehumanize the workplace and to create a better world of work and workplace so i think the one thing to say really is we can't blow this opportunity we have mm. to make the most of it we can't just let it pass us by it's not someone else that's going to do this for us we're not just going to wake up one morning and find that it's all been done we're involved you know as i say in the book in relation to change we're conflicted we're involved we're, we're part of this whole process this whole journey and we have to keep pushing and we have to keep working at this because we can't miss this opportunity it's just it's just too good an opportunity to to pass by
0: thank you gold chair
2: And I really sincerely believe that uh, as mankind, change is a really big part of how we're evolving. And I think by uh, definition, it is part of who we are. So therefore uh, embracing it is definitely going to take us to the next step. And I do agree with Neil in the sense that we should be a lot more careful now. And instead of just making, uh, let's say, quick decisions for quick fixes, whether that's design or whether that's sort of putting up a scheme together. This is now the time to really think about what the future is going to look like and make uh, as best choices as possible we can. So somewhere down the line, if we're ever unfortunately in a situation like this let's hope never but if we ever reach that point again we won't have to go back and discuss the same things that we're discussing right now hopefully we will have new challenges better changes
0: to look forward to so that is one thing that i would like to add thank you and when it comes to your wish for 2025 what is it that you want to share when it comes to humanizing the workplace and embracing workplace changes? Go think, oh, sorry, no, Neil. Right. Oh, carry on, <laughs> carry on,
1: please carry on.
2: No, Neil, you can uh, take-
0: You're by. not gonna fight, so. <laughs>
1: Neil? We're, not. we're not. We've been agreeing with it. most things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the. I think following Golce's point. Um. I think that it's it's an openness to experimentation. I, I think mm. you know it's we're not going to get this right first time. You know it's the, the 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 pandemic is not going to recede, or we're not going to get some degree of control of it, and then and then um, we find that we we suddenly have arrived at the answer, and everybody just goes and creates the answer. This is a this is going to be a process of. Um, Open dialogue, feedback loops, um, learning from our colleagues, learning from the occupants of space, uh, workspace, rather than just it being a sort of an imposed solution, listening to people, creating Mm -hmm. that, because the experimentation only works if there's an effective feedback loop, if we have an effective dialogue there's no there's nothing to be gained from an experiment where you where you don't get people's um you know views as to whether it's worked or not or what they find that's works or what they find that doesn't work so i think really that's my that's my that's my sort of wish really is that we become much more comfortable with experimentation um which means actually understanding the essence of change in terms of mm-hmm. sort of adaptation and evolution um, to be prepared to experiment to be prepared to admit that something isn't necessarily working and to change that to tweak it to keep to keep it moving in that direction um, to make sure that we don't become stale we don't become fixed on one particular solution that we maintain this open dialogue an open mind and and we're continually prepared to try things and i think you know if if we if we take the opportunity and we have this experimentation mindset, i think we're going to be entering probably you know the the most interesting and exciting um sort of era of workplace that, that we've ever had
0: is that your next book title experimental mindset
1: <laughs> it might be <laughs> it wasn't going to be but who knows
0: <laughs> Go, thank you neil and golce i
2: do definitely agree with a lot of the things you mentioned neil and for me 2025 would be ideally looking like indeed a moment in time where we're continuing to experiment, but at the same time that we make a lot more clear decisions about how we are measuring data and what factors are more important than others. And I think a big part of that is what you mentioned, really having that open dialogue and talking to the users of space and not see the office space as the static element, but something like one of us that basically evolves over time. So, I'm really hoping that by 2025, we don't have uh, many of these, let's say, cookie cutter approaches, but uh, spaces become a lot more personalized depending on teams, depending on companies. That also is a big part of company culture. So, how the company culture is shaping the way people are interacting and working together. So I really hope to be able to be part of that change and see things move in a more positive direction.
0: I hope so too. Thank you for sharing so much insight. And I hope that the the listeners or the viewers that watch this episode are embracing change in the workplace. I know that they shared a lot of tips and a lot of insights for the post-COVID where we are just putting it in there just to massage you, just to let let the idea marinate so that when the time comes, when we are going back to the workplace, that you are at least mentally prepared for that. So thank you both, Neil and Golce. And I want to close off for next time. Next week, there won't be an episode. I am taking a break, as in I am recharging my batteries. So next week, I won't be online. But the week after, I will be online and we will have a conversation about the power of inclusive teams. so thank you for watching thank you for listening and until the next time bye everybody